Romans chapter 13. They'll know that we are Christians. We just sang this. They'll know that we are Christians by our love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Over these next weeks, I want to preach to you on several truths from Scripture, several things that this is what love looks like. We hear in our day the word love thrown around pretty loosely. It's this and it's this and we, we're all about love and we, we see it used in a variety of ways. But we're talking about what does it look like when God says for us to love one another. Not just our brothers and sisters in Christ, but to love those around us. By this shall all men, that's believers and unbelievers, by they'll know that they are, you are my disciples. So this is not just love for one another, though it begins in the church. Especially, Paul said, those who are of the household of faith. But it also is to the people around us. What does it look like? You see, love is more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling. We tend to think of love as, well, I feel this way towards someone, and then I'm going to act on that feeling. If that's the case, if love is just some case of the warm fuzzies that hits you at random times and, and weird places and times and events, then how does God command us to love? Love is a choice. Love is an, act, love is an action. Love is acting towards someone in a particular way, particularly as we'll see this morning, the way that God acts toward us, the way that God has manifested himself to us. So when we think about loving one another, what does love look like? I want you to see, first of all, in this text this morning, that love looks like seeking justice. Seeking justice. Justice is another one of those words that's thrown around a lot these days. We hear it used in different contexts. We think of um, social justice. We think of legal justice. We think of injustice. And we hear it used in a, in a variety of ways. And there's a danger of what happens. We're going to get to the Bible in just a moment. We're going to see what the Bible has to say about this. Because there's a danger that we will allow culture to push us one way or the other on this matter. Sometimes we will allow culture to define justice in such a way that we almost come to believe that it is more important than the gospel. I have heard people say the church's task is to help bring justice in this world. It is a part of the outflow of the gospel for us to seek justice. We'll see that in just a moment. But nothing supersedes the task of glorifying God by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we are here. That is our purpose as a church. That is our task, is to glorify God through proclaiming His truth and proclaiming His gospel. Justice is not part of the gospel. We have to be very careful that we don't start to incorporate works into salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. More of you knew faith than knew works. That was not part of it. But the, justice is not part of the gospel. Justice is a part that is the outflow of the gospel work in our life. And we'll see how justice and love go hand in hand. We, we tend to think of justice in some wrong ways. 
I want you to read these verses with me this morning, and then I want us to see what does the Bible say. Because you see, there are some people that get pushed over here, and they think too much of, the, of justice. And then they move over here, and these, these issues, well, because I'm responding, because people that I disagree with are on that side of the argument, and they talk a lot about it, then I'm not going to have anything to do with it because they're clearly wrong. And you, we all know that if someone's wrong about one thing, they're wrong about everything. Can I get an amen from, I started to say spouses and husbands, but that, wives and husbands, but that's not a good way to start the service off. And so they move over here, and well, all this stuff is wrong. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. And what we have done on both sides of this is we have allowed our culture and we have allowed political parties and we have allowed political candidates to define where we stand on a biblical issue. We need to know what the Bible says about it. What does the Word of God say justice is? I want you to begin reading with me in verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loves another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. When we try to find that balance between over here where justice is too much and it becomes a greater part of the gospel or superior to the gospel, or this side that says we've got nothing to do with it because that side believes in it. We need to understand what the Bible says and there's, there's several aspects of justice that we're comfortable with or we know. The world, for example, in our culture, our day, we understand several things. We understand that there's a, just, a judgment or a punishment aspect of justice. Usually when we think justice has been served or we think justice has been accomplished, it's been meted out, we're thinking about a punishment or a judgment that takes place for somebody that has done something. A criminal has been called, and he got what he deserved. And that's good, because we, that's why we have laws, that's why we have a legal system. We need to have something in place that makes sure that those who do wrong, the Bible says that that's the purpose of government, Romans chapter 13, that he is there to reward the ones who do well and punish those that don't. The person that breaks the law, that's why we have folks who are in law enforcement. That's why we have folks in our judicial system and in the legal profession to make sure that justice in this sense is served. But the problem with this is who gets to decide? Sometimes there are good laws and sometimes there are bad laws. There have been times when things that were legal were not moral. There are things in our day, and I won't delve too far into this because it's not in the point of our text and the point of our sermon, but there are things in our day that are legal, but they are not moral. And so who gets to decide? That's the problem. It has to be something more than this. There has to be some standard for this. If that's the case, if we only, if we only allow individuals to determine what's right and what's wrong, 
we fall into what happened in the book of Judges. You remember the, the phrase that's the theme through the book of Judges? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. He didn't say everybody just went out and did wrong. And did, he said they did what they thought was right. I mean, you read through Judges, and it, it really is almost like the Old West. I've been doing a little reading just for some fun, just reading some Old West history. And I, I've been reading about Wyatt Earp and the shootout in Tombstone and the, the different, the gang that was there and the, the, the culprits that were there, the villains that were there. And as I'm reading through this, I'm beginning to find out, you know, you used to think there was the good guys on one side and the bad guys on the other. In the Old West, there weren't no good guys. Pardon the grammar or lack thereof. They were, they were all a little sus. I don't know why y'all reacted to that the way you did. <laughs> they, they all had some flaws. They were all, uh, they were all sinners. They exemplified all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They believed that it was okay. In fact, it was illegal. And boy, there were murders that took place that I'm finding out, and there was nobody charged for them. They wouldn't do anything about it. You could just sort of kill with impunity. And if somebody said something to you, you had the right to use lethal force. Somebody made you mad. Somebody said something about your paw. You could shoot them or agree with them or whatever you wanted to do. But, and judges is that way. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's the danger of trying to let humans be the determinant of what's right and what's wrong. Humans often get it wrong. Another part of justice is the idea of fairness. And we would certainly understand this. The idea that trying to ensure that everyone is treated equally and given equal opportunity. Now, no one's going to argue that equality is a part of justice, but the problem is, just as with judgment, more is needed. Just like there's judgment, but there's got to be a better standard than man's standard, with equality, what if it's equally poor treatment? What if the results and the treatment is bad and wrong, but everybody gets treated that way? Let's say, for example, that there's a culture or a society where the government says you can only have one child. It's not hard to imagine. There's a nation in this world that does that. And if that one, it doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are, it doesn't matter. Any, nothing matters, everybody is treated equally, you only get one child. And if you have more than one child, then forced abortion or infanticide is implemented. Equally to everybody. That's equality, but that's not justice. It has to be something more. It has to go beyond that. A higher standard is needed. Judgment is important. Equality is important. But the Bible speaks of justice in a way, and it uses the word almost interchangeably with the word righteousness or the concept of rightness. It is acting rightly. It is doing that which is right because we know it to be right. It is acting according to the nature of a just God. You see, the law that was given... and. Paul will speak here in chapter 13, and he begins to list. He says, 
Here's the commandment, and you'll remember that Jesus said this was the second greatest commandment, that you love your neighbor as yourself. That when you love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to obey the commandments. Jesus said on these two, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. All the law of the Old Testament, the hundred and even thousands of laws and and corollary laws that came from those, came from the Ten Commandments. And Jesus takes the Ten Commandments and he hangs them on two. Love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. Because if we love God, we're going to obey the first four of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The first, those first four, the Lord's day, those are, those are commandments that if we love God, we're going to obey. The last six, and Paul mentions most of them here, he says, if you love your neighbor, you're going to obey these. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to murder them. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to defraud them or harm them through adultery. You're not going to lust after them. You're not going to do all these things that he describes. He said, and if there be any other law, it's, it's carried in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the Ten Commandments are expressions of the nature of God. This is who God is. We'll see in just a moment that he is a just God. The Bible is clear about that. In other words, God will always act rightly. Shall not the judge of the earth always do right? Yes, he will always do right. And so justice is simply rightness. It is justice is righteousness expressed toward others. It is doing what is right because we know what is right. In who decides, God does. God will always be the ultimate determiner of what is right in this world. Let me give you an illustration of this. Not really in my notes, but I think it will be helpful to us this morning to think through this. When we teach our children, we teach them usually based on you do right because of the potential for consequences or you do right because it's what's expected of you. The problem with that is, is we're basing what's right and what's wrong on changing standards or things that could be flawed. For example, how many of you remember when you were a child and you were taught to tell the truth and they would tell you the old story about the boy that cried wolf? You remember the story about the little boy that cried wolf? Those of you that aren't familiar, it's a little boy that cried wolf. That's pretty much the story. He watched over the village's sheep and he would cry that the wolf had come and they would come to help protect him and there was no wolf there and he lied so many times that when the wolf did actually come, he cried for help and no one came. And so, of course, the moral of that story is, is if you lie often enough, no one's going to believe you. The problem with that is when our children grow up and they become maybe very good at lying and they lie with impunity and nothing happens. Is it still wrong to lie if nothing bad happens because I lied? Yes, it is. But you see, the problem is, is that we base what's right or wrong on a changeable standard. What if we say, hey, um, you really don't need to go into this lifestyle because society thinks that's bad and people will think poorly of you. 
Well, we've seen in the recent years how quickly society can change. And society, believe this or not, society can be wrong about what's right and wrong. In fact, there are, have been societies that said it was right that you could own a person as property. There have been societies that said it's all right to punish someone or put someone to death simply because of their ethnicity, just because they were Jewish. There are still cultures in our world today that think it's perfectly defined to have your neighbor over for supper. And by that, I mean literally, have your neighbor over for su- the neighbor is supper. It's their culture. You're going to tell them it's wrong? Yeah, yeah if I'm the neighbor, I'm, I'm going to tell them it's wrong. So we can't base it on that. What do we base it on? We go to the Word of God and we point them to not just the Word of God, we point them further to the nature of God. Why do I tell the truth? Because God is a God of truth. And God has expressed that in one form by saying, Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. And So therefore, I root the truth, this is right and this is wrong, in the nature of God. This is who God is. So when I think of acting justly and I think of acting rightly toward those around me, I'm acting as God has acted toward me and as God would act. That's what determines what's just. That's what determines what's right. And let me tell you, culture may change. Whims may change. Circumstances may change. But the nature of Almighty God will never change. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And that's the basis of truth. And this is what the Bible tells us. Justice matters. Doing what is according to God's nature matters Because, first of all, God is a just God. There are many verses I could share with you, but let me just give you three or four. Deuteronomy 32, 4, He is a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is He. You see the justice and the rightness brought together? Isaiah 45, 21, There is no God else besides me, a just God and Savior. Zephaniah 3, 5, when's the last time you've heard Zephaniah quoted in church? The just Lord will do no iniquity. Revelation 15, 3, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways. Just and true are thy ways. God is a just God. God will always do what is right. Not only is God just, God requires us to be just. Take the time sometime to go through Scripture and see how many times He commands us to be just and righteous. We're to have just measures, Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 25, Proverbs 11, Proverbs 16, and Ezekiel 45. God says you shall measure with just measures. What does that mean? It means that it's to be fair and right. If you tell someone you're going to give a gallon of something, you get a gallon. If you tell somebody they're getting a pound of something, you give a pound. And it's not just in measure. It means that in our businesses and in our activity, we are to be right and fair. I was standing in a gas station not long ago. I say not long ago. I've reached that age where not long ago could be anywhere from two weeks ago to 20 years ago. Can I hear from some of you guys that are that age? Okay, y'all know what what I'm talking about. And I saw this weird-looking truck parked on the other side of the pump. And this guy had this weird contraption on the back, and it had numbers, and it had all the different, um, what what do you call the number for the different kinds of gas, the the, um, octane number. It had the octane number on it. And he was pumping gas into every single one of those. And so I've 
can't keep my mouth shut. I'm curious. I walked over and said, hey, do you mind telling what, what are you doing? He said, my job is to go to all these gas stations and measure and make sure that if you pay for a gallon of gas, you're getting a gallon of gas. I said, buddy, I want to thank you because if I have to mortgage my left kidney to get a tank of gas, I want to know that I'm getting my money's worth out of it. Just measures. I remember hearing my dad tell the story about working as a young man in the old country grocery store near where he lived. And the man that ran it was a Baptist deacon in the church, and people would come in, and he was a good man unless certain people came in. And he wouldn't keep them from coming in his store, but when it came time to measure how much meat they were buying, he'd lay his finger over on the scale and make them pay more because he really didn't like people from certain backgrounds on certain sections of town. That's an unjust measure. Now, we don't measure things in all that way, but if I work for someone and they pay me for a certain number of hours and I short them in the time that I labor or in the amount of labor I give them, I have used an unjust measure. You see, justice... It's great when we're thinking about the criminal that got sent to jail. Praise God, hallelujah, he got what he deserved. But what about acting justly ourselves? You see, it's rooted in the truthfulness of God. And God says, I require this. He required it in measures. He required it in judges and in leaders. Psalm, uh, 2 Samuel 23, 3, He that rules men must be just. Our greatest need in this country, and we need to pray for this, we don't get an awful lot of choice many times, but we need to pray for just and righteous leaders. Forget what letters next to their name. Are they righteous and are they just? Will they do what is right? Now look, I understand sometimes it's between which one's going to do less wrong than the other. But we need to pray because when the righteous are exalted... Righteousness is exalted. It blesses a nation. It exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. God says, I want you to have righteous judges and just judges and just leaders. Just thinking, Philippians 4, 8, think on whatsoever things are good, perfect, are pure, of good report, just. Employers, Colossians 4, 1, are to be just and fair. Pastors, Titus chapter 1, verse 8, have a responsibility to act rightly and justly. You see, this is what God, this is who God is, and this is who God demands us to be. He expects us to be. God rewards just conduct and judges injustice. Proverbs 3.33, he blesses the habitation of the just, but the path of the just is the shining, is as the shining light that shines more and more into the perfect day. Blessings are upon the head of the just, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. That's what God has to say. That's, here's, here's justice, here's righteousness, it is rightness. It is doing what is right because we know it to be right. It is acting toward others as God has acted toward us. It means hating what God hates and loving what God loves and showing grace to those whom God has shown grace to. Oh, that's a little bit difficult, isn't it? Because it's easy to show grace to people that are easy to show grace to. If you love them that love you, Jesus said, 
What thank have ye? Even the heathens, even the publicans and the sinners, they love those that love them. But he said, if you want to be like your Father in heaven, love those that despitefully use you. Wait a minute, I thought justice was somebody getting what they deserve. I thought it was equality for all. It's obeying that command. He says, because your heavenly Father makes it rain on who? The just and the unjust. It's acting toward people like God would act toward us. And this is where justice is most important because it demonstrates demonstrates the love and the grace of God. How does God act toward us? I have been asked many times over the years, Pastor, is God fair? Is God always fair? And my answer to that shocks some people. It may shock some of you. No, God is not always fair. He's never less than fair, but God is often more than fair. It's called mercy, and it's called grace. And you can have your fairness. I'll take justice, I'll take fairness, mercy, and grace any day of the week. I'm glad that God has not dealt with me according to what I deserve. But in his mercy and his grace, he has extended his love toward us. And you see, that's what happens when God's people, this is what love looks like. Love looks like us acting rightly toward those around us and working so that others are treated rightly. Boy, some of you, you, and I know it, have a deep-seated sense of justice. You want to see people treated right, and it really gets under your skin when you see people treated poorly, when you see people treated unfairly. But let's go beyond that. Let's demonstrate, let's manifest the grace of God. Who in your life right now needs to experience the grace and mercy of God? You need to act toward them rightly. You need to act toward them as God has acted towards you. Have you received God's grace? Have you experienced God's grace? Have you experienced the love and mercy of God? If that is the case, then who needs to receive that from you? You see, in America, we have great opportunities. We have unprecedented opportunity to speak and to act for justice, to make sure people are treated fairly. We have the right to vote. We have the right to speak freely, at least for right now. We have the right to act on behalf of others and seek that they are treated. We have one of the greatest legal systems in history, flawed though it may be. It is a great system to treat people right and fair. But let's go beyond that. Let's demonstrate to those around us, this is what God looks like. This is the love of God. It's not enough to get a person to heaven, but I'll tell you what, it removes the obstacles between them and the gospel. Because when they've seen God's grace in our lives, and then they hear, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, they are able to say, oh, that's what, I know what grace looks like. I've seen the love of God. And then what happens? I'll close with this word. We heard part of it in our Sunday school lesson this morning, John. 
Let your light so shine before men. This is what I'm talking about, letting your light shine before men. That they may see your good works, your right works, your justice, and do what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. A God-glorifying, biblically-based, Christ-exalting, spirit-filled justice is what love looks like. Will it be seen in your life? Let's bow for prayer. Maybe this morning you began by thinking of justice as, I'd love to see the person that I'm mad at get what they deserve, get what's coming to them. Maybe as the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart this morning, the Holy Spirit is saying, this is, what, this is how your father would act toward them. This is, the, this is the, how your heavenly father loves and shows grace. And it may be one of the hardest things you've ever done to act justly. Maybe this morning you've treated someone unfairly yourself. And maybe God's spoken in your heart. Maybe there's another need or a burden in your heart. Maybe you're concerned about someone and you want to bring them to the altar in prayer. Whatever God may speak to your heart, the altar will be open. Father, speak to us this morning. You have said that they will know we are Christians by our love. We will know we are your disciples by our love. Father, may a love for rightness and justice and righteousness flow from our hearts and from our lives and through our nation. Speak to us, we pray.